Thanks for tuning into this bonus episode. Now let's step into the limelight and get started. See what I did there? Limelight. Get it? All right. I thought maybe I could do a little something that's been banging around in my brain while the Audible Ecstasy crew kind of has a little bit of a hiatus over the last couple of weeks. That would at least give us some content and it will help to clean out this idea germinating in my head because I have lots of things germinating up there, festering, waiting to be released. Might as well release one of them to the world. I've been wanting to add a little more rush to the podcast. I hear groans. Pipe down, Chris. So I sat down recently and pulled five songs that are instant favorites for me or songs that really stood out to me as I made my journey through the Rush discography from beginning to end. Well worth the journey if you've never taken it. I can't stress that enough. And after finding the Something for Nothing podcast, a podcast all about Rush, a podcast I highly recommend for Rush fans or non-Rush fans, those two guys are longtime buddies, huge Rush fans, and it shows. I enjoy their insights into the songs and music of this band and have learned a lot by listening to them. And because of them, I have once again started going back through all of Rush's albums. They are a band that I think might stick around with me for a bit, like Iron Maiden or Metallica, who I still listen to from time to time. Jimmy Buffett, on the other hand, I've never stopped listening to him and always find time throughout my week to listen to one of his albums or a random playlist. And I know Jimmy and Chris recently did an episode all about bands they had fallen out of favor with. Great episode if you haven't listened to it. Go back and listen to it when you're done with this one. I don't really have any artists I've fallen out of love with. Dave Matthews is one I hardly listen to at all these days. But I didn't really fall out of favor with it. Still listen to his music occasionally. And like Chris said in that episode, country music was once my go-to. But I have drifted from it since the early 2000s. A lot of that music was tied up in a relationship that fell apart during that decade. Cue sad music, right? Anyways, it's hard to revisit those memories, but I've started listening to 90s country again recently. I guess time heals all wounds. If you have a band or an artist you fell out of favor with, give us a shout out. AudibleEcstasyPodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear all your thoughts and opinions. And ecstasy is spelled E-X-T-A-C-Y. With that said, let me go ahead and dive into the first song I want to feature called One Little Victory. Played live 259 times. And that song came out in the early 2000s. Must have been played live a lot before they retired in 2015. The intro to this song is phenomenal. I can't stress that enough. Phenomenal. In fact, the whole damn song is. Hard to believe this is a three-piece band.
killer tune, right? And a great song to start this list with. The album this song is on is called Vapor Trails, an album becoming a fast favorite of mine. Here's just a bit about it from Rush.com. It was released in May 2002 and co-produced by Paul Northfield, who has engineered a number of Rush's recordings. Vapor Trails redefines their intensely individualistic music, blending their famously complex dynamics with driving melodic hooks and a passionate, personal, lyric approach. I didn't read that out loud before I wrote it down, and that is a mouthful. Moving on, it also says the entire developmental process for Vapor Trails was extremely taxing and took approximately 14 months to finish, by far the longest the band had ever spent writing and recording a studio album. The band had the album remixed and re-released as Vapor Trails remixed in 2013. And that remixed album is the only one I've listened to. Not sure how different the original album is from that one. Moving on to the next song I want to feature, Scars. A song played live 64 times. Not bad. And the bass work in this song is next level. I mean, next level. Here it is. Amazing tune. Just love the way this song grooves. And this song is becoming a fast favorite. And the album it is on, Presto, is rising to the top of the heap very quickly as well. It's a great album from start to finish. And here's a bit more about it from Rush.com. Presto is Rush's 13th studio album released in 1989. It was recorded at Le Studio and Morin Heights and it make clear place in Toronto. And, fun fact, one strange quirk at the time was the fact that the first side of Presto was much longer than the second, forcing Rush to instruct fans to play the A side much louder to compensate for sound loss. Wow, crazy stuff. Makes me glad we have streaming and CDs now for music listening. Moving on to the third song I want to feature called Xanadu, a song played live 966 times. Big favorite for most Rush fans, including myself. That number puts it at ninth all time 
And I'm diving a little further into the song, not starting at the start because it's so long. Digging this one, always have. And it's a song like The Trees that was a favorite before I dove hard into Rush. I hate that I can't play more of it or all of it, but I don't want to take a copyright chance. If you have the time, do yourself a favor and listen to it in its entirety. It doesn't feel like a song that is nearly 12 minutes long. Rush is a master at making long songs seem short because they pack so much into them. And this song can be found on the album A Farewell to Kings, released in 1977. Here's a bit about the album from Getty himself. I pulled this from, can you all say it at one time? Rush.com. It's the only one of our albums, apart from 2112, that I can really live with. I've yet to look at it and start finding fault with it, pick it apart. You know, it still sounds so positive. And with respect to Rockfield Studios, Getty said, We were very happy with the sound we got there for Kings. Also, it's got so much to offer. Rockfield is so good if you want to experiment. You know, you can go outside to record, use their weird echo room. That's the kind of environment we like. That's a fun fact to learn. Moving on, the next song I want to feature is called Middletown Dreams from their 1985 album Power Windows. Played live 99 times. Glad it got a chance to shine.
like the sound of that one. And I wanted to pull a song from their synth days of the 80s. This is a really good tune. And here's a bit about the album Power Windows from, let's hear it folks, come on, come on, you got it, Rush.com. Power Windows launched an era in which the band expanded into new sonic directions and featured synths heavily. I can't say the word synths for some reason. It was also the album where Getty switched to using a wall bass made by a small English company. He'd used the wall as his main bass all the way through the Roll of Bones album and tour. Now, onto the final song I want to feature, and it's called Bastille Day, a song played live 486 times. <laughs> Another amazing tune, and here's a bit about the album it is on called Caress of Steel, released in 1975. And this comes from, who said it? I heard someone over there on the left saying it. Yeah, you got it. That's right. On the right, too. Okay, you both got it right. Rush.com. Here's the blurb. Although the band initially had high hopes for Caress of Steel, it was considered a disappointment by the record company. The album eventually became known as one of Rush's most obscure and overlooked recordings. Diehard fans feel the record is underrated, and so do I. Caressive Steel featured long pieces broken up into various sections and long solo passages. It is often considered notable for the inclusion of the band's first two epic pieces, The Necromancer and The Fountain of Lamneth. What I've learned is that Caress of Steel nearly destroyed Rush's career. They had released a couple of albums before this one and were on a strong path of being the new darlings of the record company. After Caress failed miserably, they were told, next one better land or you're done. The next album was 2112, which was a major success and it helped to make them who they are today. Personally, I really like Caress of Steel. The Necromancer is a killer tune and one that is another quick favorite of mine. I chose not to play it because it's another long song and there's only so much time. I hope I got the facts right in this episode, the ones I dared venture out on my own to talk about, because I'm now just learning all I can about Rush. If I didn't, you can always reach out to us via our 
email, or our social media accounts. Do you have a top five list of Rush songs? Stop groaning, Chris. We might get some. I would love to hear what they are. Email again is the Audible Ecstasy Podcast at gmail.com. And that's E-X-T-A-C-Y. And that will close out this bonus episode. But there's one more thing I want to leave you with. I recorded this next thing for the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast back in the fall. They have something called the Shirley Showcase. And I was to be on it with this talking blurb. It still hasn't been on the show, and I don't think it ever will. But I hate to not at least put it out there somewhere. I thought it fit nicely into the theme of this podcast. So I will close with that. And thank you for listening. The gang will all be back together soon in order to discuss the album Heaven and Hell. Spoiler alert. Big time spoiler alert. Are you ready for it? Are you hanging on the edge of your seat? You ready and waiting? I really liked it. Currently in my top five of the year. Number one, not sure it's there. That Van Halen album, A Different Kind of Truth. Sorry guys, we covered. Took me so much by surprise that it is still sitting at number one. I think the Heaven and Hell album is probably third or fourth. Fighting it out with Hairspray and Bobby Pins and Pitchforks with Europe's The Final Countdown. Now, onto the segment I recorded for the Shirley podcast. Thanks again for listening to me ramble. And if you want a Jimmy Buffett fix, don't forget about my other podcast, Songlines and Tan Lines. That's it. Here is that Shirley Showcase. Peace. Thank you for asking me to be a part of the Shirley Showcase. I've been listening to you guys for a while now, almost since the beginning of the podcast. It's one of my favorites to listen to each week, and I enjoyed hearing your takes on the five monster albums that came out in 1991. Metallica's Black album, both Use Your Illusion albums by Guns N' Roses, Nevermind by Nirvana, and Ten by Pearl Jam. I avoided the last two episodes for a very long time. Why? Because I hate grunge. I hate everything about grunge, from the sound to the look to the way it killed so much great music that I loved in the 80s. Sure, that hair metal genre probably needed to change or morph into something different. Even I will agree to that. But did it have to be grunge? Needless to say that in the 90s, I went the country route, a genre I grew up with. My dad was always listening to it when I was young. So it was an easy transition for me. I hid away in that scene until the 90s and grunge passed and country started to eat its own tail, much like the hair genre did in the early 90s. Thankfully, grunge did pass, but I still had no desire to revisit anything from that decade until recently. That's when I decided to give those two episodes on 10 and Nevermind a listen. I knew that even if I didn't enjoy the albums, I would enjoy the effort you guys put into each episode. And after listening to the episode discussing the album 10, I decided to give that album by Pearl Jam a listen. And wow, I was stunned by how great it is from start to finish. And to realize that it isn't a true grunge album. There's a lot of classic rock, metal, blues, you name it, in that one album. Sure, there are elements of grunge and elements that grunge bands who came after them certainly used in their music, but 10 isn't a straight-up grunge album 
like Nevermind by Nirvana, which, after listening to, struggling to get through, I have to say that album is not as great as it has been perceived. The first five songs are solid, good enough to put on a playlist, and I might just do that, but you can stop listening once you hit Polly. Turn it off just as Polly starts, and you have a fabulous EP, something actually great to listen to. Ten, on the other hand, incredible from the opening song to the last, and I would encourage those listening, those like me, who hate this music, to at least give that album a listen. It truly is a solid album, and that's coming from a guy who came of age in the 80s and who prefers that decade's music over most decades' music. The song Once and Why Go are amazing deep cuts, the hits are outstanding, and the guitar solo on Garden has to be heard. Amazing. I currently have 10 downloaded to my phone, and I will revisit it from time to time. If I were ranking the albums from 1991, the albums you guys covered on the podcast, it would go like this. One, Metallica's Black Album. Been with them since Master of Puppets. Not going to pick against them. Two, Pearl Jam's 10. Three, GNR Use Your Illusion 2. Four, GNR Use Your Illusion 1. But those two are toss-ups. Both albums are a bit bloated and longer than they need to be. Five, Nirvana's Nevermind. And as a Halloween sidebar, Psycho, Silence of the Lambs, and M in that order for me. Psycho is still my favorite movie, and Silence has always been a bit overrated. I actually prefer Manhunter over it. The ending on Manhunter is awesome. Trust me. Thanks again, guys, for asking me to do this, and keep up the great work.